to another episode of Leader Spotlight. I'm Annette Klazowski, your host. I'm an executive coach, entrepreneur, crazy dog person, and health and fitness junkie. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Africa Williams on diversity and leadership. And I want to welcome Annie, my co-host. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing really well. Good. Annie is a creative genius, I call her. She <laughs> is all things marketing and blogs, and you're also a very talented artist as well. Oh, thank you. Yes. Uh, I should do a comic for Leaders Spotlight about all, uh, all the leaders of history. That'd be kind of fun. We, we're going to do that. We need to feature some of your artwork and <laughs> some of the stuff that you do. You're a you're very interesting. You've got a lot of talent. Oh, stop. So, well, let me tell you. So today we're going to be talking about diversity and leadership. And uh, you and I both are avid readers and yeah. look at leadership and organizational culture. So let me ask you, what are you reading now that uh, you would highly recommend to everyone? Yeah, well, for a little while, I was uh, really stuck in listening to true crimes podcasts, um, <laughs> and that got really depressing really fast. Um, so I decided to actually do some like leadership reading and kind of uplifting um, stuff, and I found uh, High Performance Habits. It's actually free on Spotify, the whole audiobook, which is pretty cool. And uh, yeah, and it's just been super helpful. It's like the six... Uh, habits you can develop to uh, be high performance. And it it goes into um, talking about how, I guess, uh, the world's top leaders, so like leaders of tech companies, uh, just, you know, people who are extraordinary, they did all these surveys and through data, which is why I was kind of interested because of all the survey source data, um, through data, they were able to identify what habits these high performance, you know, extraordinary people developed and which ones they had the most in common. And so, yeah, and it's all, it's super helpful. You know, some of these books, I think, uh, go into stuff that's, you know, is like very general and not very specific, but this is very specific, some things that you can apply. So yeah, I've been reading that and, you know, uh, then with some true crime mixed in, but mostly this. <laughs> Okay, so what's the one habit you read out of the six that you're going to focus on? Um, I think the one that I want to focus on is uh, seek clarity. Um, and it was interesting because it reminded me of the podcast interview we did with Bonnie and Leading with Vision. And it's kind of that, and it, it breaks down uh, a lot of what she's talking about. And, you know, from that podcast, I was thinking about it, but then this book mentioned it too. So yeah, seek clarity. So basically define what your vision is and what steps you're going to take to work towards that, I think is, is really interesting mm -hmm. to me. Very good. And she's referring to the podcast we did with Bonnie Hageman, who's CEO of Executive Development Associates. So that was a really good one on leading with vision. So, all right, good. There's high performance tips from Annie. I love it. <laughs> yes. Well, good. Well, okay, Annie, you do always cover reviews. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? So yeah, yeah. I wanted to mention just before we get started that if you guys are enjoying the podcast, if you're liking the episodes and the guests we've been having, one small thing you can do that'll make a big difference is leaving a review for the podcast. Um, it just helps us to continue bringing you great content. So if you could 
do that, uh, that would be amazing. We would greatly appreciate it. It does help us in a lot of ways because it's all about getting the viewers and listeners. So we would greatly appreciate that. All right, well, let's get started. So I want to introduce our leader spotlight today. Africa Williams is joining us. She is a talent development and technology professional. That's a very rare combination, I'm guessing, in the industry. She has a lot of experience in private sector and with federal government. She's worked with the Department of Veterans Affairs, the Department of Energy, the U.S. Senate, so, Africa, welcome. We are so happy to have you with us and want to just have you start by what are you currently doing? What do you tell us a little bit about what you're up to now? Well, first of all, um, I want to say thank you, Annette and Annie, both for having me on your show. I'm really excited to be here, and I'm especially excited to be here uh, today on October 1st when it's the start of National Disability Employment Awareness Month, uh, which is really an amazing time to be on your show discussing uh, diverse abilities and leadership, uh, which is what we'll delve into a little bit. Um, right now, I'm actually doing two things. I typically do at least two things at a time. So, <laughs> <laughs> Of course you do. Of course I do. Actually, I do about 10 sometimes at a time. <laughs> um, but no, right now, in terms of my professional work, I, am, uh, I have a new company. It's a partnership. It's called NeoWorks. And we provide training and consulting uh, services and coaching as well um, for individuals and organizations focused on you know, talent development, career development, uh, diversity inclusion strategies, and disability employment. And I also uh, am currently working um, as the talent development manager for LCI, which is a nonprofit agency uh, it's part of the National Industries for the Blind, and our mission is to provide meaningful employment for people who are blind and low vision. So I'm really excited about that opportunity uh, to do that work and to, to impact people who, who are currently primarily in manufacturing and distribution center type careers. But the focus um, of my role is to basically upskill those folks so that they can have the skills they'll need to be part of the uh, workforce of the future. And uh, the programs that I design and, and develop and implement are focused on upward mobility and teaching technical skills. Uh, so I'm really happy about being able to do that work and to blend my technology background with my passion for talent development. That is great. That's great. And you know, I've done a lot of work with the organization here in Oklahoma City where I am based out of, uh, called New View, and they employ low vision people as well, and they have a manufacturing company. So um, that is something that's near and dear to my heart as well. So, well, welcome, welcome, and thank you for all the work you do. And let's kind of start. We're going to talk about diverse abilities and leadership and career advancement, and we're going to try to cover as much as we can. But let's start with Give me, kind of define diverse abilities. That may be something new people have not heard before. So talk a little bit about the diverse abilities and how you are using that. Well, actually, it's a nod um, to the Diverse Ability Magazine. Um, I was actually at a, dis a disability employment conference, and I met Mona Lisa Ferris, who is the president and founder of that magazine. And I was so impressed with that shift in thinking um, that I adopted it for myself. Um, I really prefer that over disabilities. I mean, disabilities is a term that 
is really interwoven, but I prefer to look at it certainly from the perspective um, of someone who does have what I deem diverse abilities. I prefer that. It sounds more positive to me because the disabilities aspect tends to focus on the dis, you know, on what people cannot do. Mm-hmm. And I'm really keen uh, on focusing on what people can do because I absolutely believe that everyone, regardless of their ability, can do something. And there's also the flip side of that. Everyone who thinks, oh, you know, I don't have any challenges or disabilities. There's something that they cannot do. So let's not look at and define each other based on the things that we can't, that we can't do. And that's kind of why I chose the disability uh, term of diverse ability over disability. I like that. I think it also opens up the um, possibility of organizations as they are diversity is really a big topic now in organizations and it really opens up I think what they look at is a diverse workforce. It doesn't necessarily mean age or race or gender, but also, you know, people with disabilities could also kind of filter into that. So I love that. I love that. So thank you. Absolutely. You're welcome. Absolutely. And, And disability is a part of diversity. Any diversity strategy should really incorporate disability into the strategy. So it's not really an aside. It's certainly part of the diversity and inclusion and equity. Yeah, that's great. Well, let's let's talk a little bit. And um, when you are doing a lot of the work that you do around career strategy uh, for people that have div- disabilities mm-hmm. and maybe they're looking to be in, in leadership, what give us some key points that are critical uh, for them to keep in mind? Key points um, are, I would say, first and foremost, is mindset. Mindset matters. I really believe in everything we do. And and for me, mindset starts with seeing yourself as you want to be seen. Um, I believe that as a person with a disability, I need to define who I am for myself so that when I go out into society, I'm not defined by other people's perceptions, especially perceptions surrounding limitations that I may have. Yeah. I like that. I like I like owning to, um, you know, if you let's say have a sight uh, disability, it's being able to have the mindset and the ownership of requesting what you need. And I know you talked about there's so many tools out there that um, people can use that really level that playing ground. So I, I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. What's another point? So mindset. Love that. Yes, mindset. Um, You just said owning, (laughs) you talked about owning, and I absolutely believe that you you should own and leverage your diverse ability. And one key thing you just said that really um, is a focus for me and my work is knowing what you need and being able to self-advocate and request what you need. Um, For people with disabilities, sometimes we can perceive that if we ask for things, it's going to make it more difficult for us. Uh, in the workplace. And I've seen where some folks will just, you know, try to make do. And that's not really the the mindset of organizations and cultures right now. The organizational culture is that we want to include people with disabilities and we want to provide accommodations that will help them to be successful in their jobs um, and in their careers. And part of that is focused around asking for the accommodations you need. Um, I work with people, as I said, who have vision um, 
disabilities, and they are using screen readers or screen magnifiers. And I've seen challenges where, you know, maybe someone who has a progressive eye disease um, maybe is still trying to use a screen reader. I mean, still trying to use a screen magnifier, which zooms um, the content on a page and increases it in size. And as their disease progresses, they may have to shift to an actual screen reader. And that's software that'll you know, read essentially everything on the screen for them. And I noticed that for some people that can be a very difficult um, shift because it's mm-hmm. letting go of the usable vision that, you know, that they have remaining. And so it, it makes it difficult. But um, my team and I have really tried to encourage the folks who are kind of in that middle space to be you know, more open to the, to the thoughts of, let's go ahead and help you get uh, trained um, so that you can master the assistive technology that you need now, but also that you'll need in the future. And so we try to approach it you know, to, to convey that you know, mastering this technology and using this screen reader software will make you more efficient. It'll make things easier for you. And the, the good thing about it is that doesn't only apply to the workplace. It applies to, you know, their home uh, life where they can, it makes it easier for them to search the internet. It makes them easy, make it easier for them to read documents and things like that. So uh, I really try to, you know, be first of all empathetic and understanding that it is a challenge to, to let go of the usable vision that they have remaining. But I try to find ways you know, to encourage them and to let them know that it's really going to help. And then you just wait for the person to come to that place of acceptance. Yeah. So if, if there are leaders of companies that are really interested in engaging a more diverse workforce, let's say low vision or some um, disability, Talk a little bit about the the consulting you've done or how easy is it for organizations to really kind of integrate tools or even a, a uh, work um, setting for somebody like that? Well, it really does depend on, on the accommodation or the technology that's needed. Some of it, it is very simple to do and uh, not at all costly. Um, some things can be a little bit more costly, um, but these are tools that people will need in order to be able to do, you know, the work that the organization needs done. And we know that, you know, currently the workforce is, you know, there. I should say that there are more jobs than there are people in the workforce and that the, the people in the disability community, out of the disability community, only one third or 32 percent of those people of working age are employed. So there's two thirds of the disability community that are working age that could be employed that are not being tapped right now. And so part of solutions to that is to create a culture of inclusion and a culture of disability inclusion that might require some investment, but actually there are oftentimes uh, ways that organizations can get funding Um, for that kind of thing, ways that individuals can get funding. In fact, some of the tools that people need with various disabilities, whether they're vision-related or auditory or mobility, some of those things, they can request 
through the state that the organization is in to have those tools and, and you know that they need in order to be able to perform their job. And that can often happen at little to no cost to an organization. So it's it's really about having the conversation and creating that culture of inclusion where it's safe for people, you know, to ask for what they need. And then you really need to have someone in place that can assist them in getting the things that they need. That's good. You know, the my and I I've worked with an organization for several years, but what I've really noticed about their diverse diversity with um, somebody with a disability is you know, the loyalty of that employee and the engagement in culture. And, you know, it's it's really phenomenal to, to watch. Uh, they also have a higher regard around, sa- like in manufacturing, around safety protocols. And, uh, you know, they seem to bring a lot to an organization. What, what have you seen when you see this population entering into organizations and culture? What, what are some of the upsides for organizations? I can speak, you know, certainly for for myself, but also I can speak to to what I've seen from people coming into organizations and for my interactions, you know, coaching and and training. There is a resilience um, and a sense of grit and determination that people with disabilities tend to bring with them into the workplace. You know, they're natural problem solvers because for most of them, or many of them, they've been having to solve problems all their lives in terms of their disability and, you know, getting access. And, and so they bring those, those toolkits with them. And, you know, the resilience um, is, it's just magical to know that, you know, it's not to say that people are superhuman and that, you know, that, that they won't have challenges or it's not to say that, but it's just to say that there seems to be a commitment um, I've seen at an even higher level to really make a contribution and to really uh, be productive because they value um, their opportunity to work because the rates of unemployment are so high for many people with disabilities that, like you said, it, 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 it increases that engagement and the loyalty and you know, even that discretionary effort, all of those things that kind of come, fall under employee engagement, you can often see that if you have the right culture, but it definitely does. You know, it starts with the culture, um, of course. And if you build that culture that supports and encourages them, then you'll build a workforce of, of people who will be committed and loyal uh, to your organization. So you you talked a little bit about um, just your connection to people with um, disabilities, and what what's that connection for you? Do you come from somebody that has um, overcome something, or somebody near to you? What what brought you to that population to serve? Well, actually, um, it's personal for me. You know, being a disability employment advocate and a champion, these causes are personal for me because at various points during my life, you know, I've had disabilities that were either mobility, memory, um, mental health related, learning, thinking, or vision related. And I'm a person that, you know, at first glance, my, my disabilities are invisible to most folks. But since I was seven years old and struck by a car and broke both my legs, I've had challenges in one or multiple areas um, 
that impacted my ability, you know, to, to, to move, to think, you know, to learn. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, of course, I have a deeper sense of compassion and empathy for, um, for folks with disabilities from my, based on my personal experience. But in addition to that, I've also, um, I'm the mom of a son who has multiple disabilities and he's amazing. And I see the difference that, you know, independence can make on his life. And he's not there yet. We're still working on it, but he's an amazing, gifted young man. And part of the work that I really, that I do is really so that I can shift the perspectives and create a better place for him. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing because I think, you know, there are so many people in our world that could go through something like you have been through personally or maybe have a child or a loved one, but they don't really, I think, connect or align with that issue like you do. You know, they may complain it's somebody else's fault. They look around it, but I love that you have just kind of taken up that um you know, cause of to make things better and to educate and to train and to show somebody um, a different way. So what what in you do you think, just in your background and leadership, and I know you kind of come from a talent development background and training, but what what is it inside you that creates you to have that attitude? Really, I have to attribute it to my grandmother. I called her nanny. <laughs> and- uh-huh. Nanny was uh, my rock. She really, from the time, you know, even before my, my uh, car accident, when I was struck by the car at seven, um, she was always there. But after my car accident, when, you know, I was having multiple corrective surgeries and, you know, experiencing related illnesses due to compromised immune system and various things as a fallout from, from uh, my car accident. But at no point, did my grandmother ever give me that pity? There was never any indication that there wasn't something that I could do. In fact, every time I would ask her something, she would give me a very basic answer, but there was so much in it. I would say, well, can I do X, Y, Z? Or, you know, can I apply for this job at the U.S. Senate? And she would say, from the time that I was a little kid until I was well into my 30s, and she passed, she'd say, I don't see why not. And the I don't see why not kind of left me thinking, well, she doesn't see why not. Then there must not be any reason that I can't do this. Uh I embraced that mindset and it gave me this sense of confidence that's really critical when you're a person with a disability because confidence is what keeps um, folks with disabilities from from applying for jobs. And it even keeps very qualified people with disabilities from going after the careers that they can and should have. So she gave me a sense of confidence um, that has just been a bedrock for me. And she gave me this sense of grit because she didn't pity me and no one allowed me, you know, not to do the things that I should have been doing um, and that I could do. So for me, you know, that was really the the first leadership example um, and really the, you know, the reason why I'm, I'm, you know, this driven person that I am in spite of 
what other people see as challenges. Um, you know, she never let me be, um, I guess she never let me accept obstacles. Mm-hmm. I love that. You know, the whole purpose behind Leader Spotlight when we, it started off really as just an Instagram where we featured leaders and we really talked about, you know, we have extraordinary leaders and we can read their books and we can watch different things on them or hear about them. But the story behind the leader is what's so powerful. And so your story kind of behind what it is you do during the day or professionally is, is really powerful. And that's what mentorship and leadership is really about is giving that person the ability to believe or have confidence to do something that they really want to do. So I love that. I love that you shared that with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And so we, we always end our interviews with um, kind of, which comes from the quote, I'm sure you're familiar with, show me your closest friends or colleagues and I'll show you your future. Mm-hmm. That really who you put around you determines your success. So I want to kind of end with that, you know, kind of with who's your four. Who are four either people, mentors, and it could be maybe you don't know them, or people that you follow that you can really attribute to your success? Hmm, that's a good one. Uh, I would say on a personal level, there are, are two women that are amazing and they are rock stars. I mean, absolute champions and pioneers in the disability employment space. And those ladies are Joyce Bender and Mary Brogger uh, at Bender Consulting in Pittsburgh. Um, they are absolutely amazing. The most relentless people <laughs> that I've ever seen. And they champion disability employment uh, and disability inclusion internationally. So they are, are certainly role models for me and the people that I look up to. Um, beyond Mary and Joyce, I would say... Um, we have your grandma. Of course, you just talked about her. So, of course, yeah. absolutely. My grandmother... <laughs> Um, and then there's my mentor. Um, her name is Perdita Abercrombie Crombie Johnson. And Perdita was uh, the woman that hired me at the Department of Veterans Affairs. And when she hired me, I had come from an IT background. I'd spent 15 years in IT and telecommunications, but I'd known for probably the last four years of that that I really would be um, better using my strengths if I moved to something that was um, more people focused and allowed me to really live my passion of being able to teach people and help them to develop to their full potential. And um, when I went to to the Department of Veterans Affairs, I actually went through a program for um, students with disabilities. And it's a part of a Department of Labor uh, and Department of Defense joint, joint initiative. It's called the Workforce Recruitment Program. So if there's anyone listening that's a student or knows a student with a disability, that's a good program to look into. Um, and that program will match students uh, with either federal agencies or private sector organizations who are looking to hire well-qualified folks with disabilities. Um, but when I went there, I had some volunteer experience as an actual facilitator, but most of my training 
was my tra uh, training or talent development experience was in systems because I'd come from an IT background. But I expressed to Perdita uh, when she and I met for my interview, you know, I, I told her what I wanted to do, what I wanted to do with my future, who, how I wanted to impact and who I wanted to impact. And I said, you know, I really want to be in this diversity and inclusion space. I want to be doing talent development and I want to use the technology. And I know that's a, probably considered an odd mix for many. In fact, when I <laughs> decided to leave IT and share that with people, they thought I'd lost my mind. It's like everybody's <laughs> trying to get into IT. And <laughs> so, but one thing I can say about Perdita was that she was the kind of person that you need to have as a mentor because she gave me the platform to do just what it was that I wanted to do. And she allowed me to leverage, you know, the skills and strengths that I already had. But then she helped me to develop those competencies that I didn't have. And so she really um, has been a phenomenal um, person in my life and has had a phenomenal impact on, on my career. And so she's certainly in my top four. And my fourth, I would have to say, hmm. That's probably a toss-up between Oprah Winfrey and Simon Sinek. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now that's a little bit of a diverse, I know, <laughs> a I diverse know. spin, but okay. I know, I know. No, I, well, I love, I love that <laughs> you value the mentorship piece with your connections and, and then that you are now kind of giving back in mentoring ways. So I love that. I love that a lot. Mentors are definitely one of the top two people you will need throughout your career and mentor and the sponsor. I would say those are the two because mentors will help you build up those, you know, like I said, build up those competencies and and they'll teach you things and they kind of put you on the fast track because they've been there before. But those sponsors, you know, they're invaluable because they open doors for you. Uh, you know, they get you access to people and projects that, you know, can really propel your career forward. I had a, a quick question for you, actually, because, um, well, first of all, thank you for sharing, uh, you know, your story, because, you um, for me personally, it's, it's very moving and inspirational because I actually, uh, one of the reasons why I do remote work, um, and one of the reasons why I love working for SurveySaurus is that I actually have some, I, I guess you could say them disabilities, but kind of like you, they're, they're the invisible, uh, you know, I have to have a certain diet. I have to rest when I need to rest. It's just, you know, something I've been dealing with for the past 10 years. And I was in offices, uh, in the past. And I've had experiences where I would, you know, try to ask for something I needed, um, you know, just to make me more productive. Mm -hmm. And because my, you know, disability wasn't necessarily super visible. And um, there were two things that would usually happen. One, um, I, I felt like people would look at me like I was less capable than before. And then the other thing would happen is that, you know, that was kind of dismissed as a um, asking too much or uh, like some sort of entitlement maybe because I'm younger. Mm -hmm. uh, so what is your advice to people who, who run into challenges, uh, you know, when they uh, try to ask for what they need? 
I say start the conversation with your immediate supervisor and manager. Uh, really be clear as to why you need it. You don't have to disclose the details of your disability, but just let that person know that you're requesting an accommodation due to your disability, and this is what you need. You know, be very clear uh, and very concise about what you need and you know and why you need it. So, for instance, if you are a person who has PTSD, uh, you might say, well, I can't work in an environment where I sit with my back to the door. Or it makes me uncomfortable if people kind of pop up on me and, and you know, startle me. Or, you know, those kinds of things. So in that kind of case, you could ask, well, can you please locate me in a place where I can have a line of sight to the door? Or you could ask colleagues, you know, could you please just let me know if you're, you know, coming up behind me or, you know, if you enter a room and I'm the only one in there, if you'll just please, please announce yourself. That's a small accommodation that really doesn't cost much. And the same applies if you're someone who's, you know, has a mobility related disability or a vision related disability. You have to have a, an honest conversation um, and it should start there with your immediate supervisor or manager. But in some cases, unfortunately, supervisors and managers may not have the awareness, the education, or the skills to really even know how to deal with what you're asking for or whether they can. So your best resource is to go to your HR department because there are people there who have a specialized knowledge to know you know, how to get you what you need. And they understand, you know, what your rights are as an employee and also what the organization um, has to has to offer and what the organization, ha you know, does not have to offer. Um, so I think that's the best way to approach it. Yeah, I, I really think too for organizations, you know, I've worked with Annie for a long time now and, you know, what a shame if, you know, there would have been a judgment around, you know, something that you had to pay special attention to for yourself and your health, what what the organization would have missed out on in your talent and what you bring to the table. So, you know, I think it's really important to, to not have those judgments that you right. know, somebody is less capable or is going to be less productive. And then I think on the other side for you know, the person with a disability, you know, their production and results will, will speak for itself as well. Absolutely. So I think, you know, if somebody doesn't produce or do what they're supposed to do, that, that will, that will, you know, also show itself like for any of us that don't produce. So, well, Absolutely. we are out of time, Africa, but it was so great to talk with you and uh, really appreciate your time um, for sure on just sharing your personal story and what, how you're, you know, raising a son now and being that advocate and mentor. And so I love that. Love what you do and love that this is, you made this kind of a calling in your life. So we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And thank you both for having me. It's been a pleasure. And, and Annie, talking to you both, I'm so glad I had a chance to do this. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leaders Spotlight. Make sure to visit our website, AnnetteKlazowski.com, 
forward slash leaders spotlight, where you can find resources mentioned on this show, as well as past episodes. Check for new episodes of Leaders Spotlight every Friday, or better yet, subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can also follow us on Instagram at Leaders Spotlight.